All right. Well, this morning we are coming to the close of a study that we've been doing since the beginning of the year entitled Christ in You. All right. There we are. I don't know if I have, uh, I don't think I have, uh, I don't have uh, access this morning. All right. So, whoops, sorry about that, Jing. All right, so Christ in you. So if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians. And um, this particular title for the message comes right out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so throughout these weeks, we've been sort of unpacking this as Paul has written this letter to the Colossians. It's a wonderful, um, a wonderful letter that uh, has, has great riches that we've been seeking to plumb. And um, this morning, as I said, we're coming to the, to the close of this study as we come to the end of the book, beginning in Colossians chapter 4, verses uh, 2 to uh, the end of the book, verse 18. If you would stand with me, please, for the reading of Scripture this morning, because I'm going to actually read through Colossians chapter 2, chapter 4, verses 2 to 18. Colossians chapter 4, 2 to 18. I'm reading from the New International Version, uh, which is located in front of you in your P-Rack, if you want to find it there uh, in the seat rack in front of you. That would be great, too. Um, And we're going to spend our time together unpacking the scriptures, so it'll be helpful for you to have it in hand. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every one. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. 
I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. May the Lord add his blessing both to the reading and the hearing and the responding to his word. You may be seated. You know, conventional wisdom says it's not what you know, but it's who you know. Right? If you're getting out of college and you're looking for a job, it's not simply what you know. It's who you know, right? And all the Mac coming grads shake their heads, the bobbleheads. Yes, it's true. And that's true in so many different arenas of our lives. It's also true in our spiritual life. So this morning I have entitled our message as we come to the close here of Colossians, A Connected Life. And we're going to look at three dimensions of connection that are uh, unpacked here in our text this morning. And so again, keep that text open before you because... Um, We're going to walk our way through the text and through that discover how it is that we can have a truly connected life. And a connected life is a life that will experience a great measure of fulfillment, a, a measure of fulfillment perhaps beyond what you've experienced up to this point. As we experience Christ in us, the hope of glory. All right, so the first part of connected life is connecting with God and experiencing mature intimacy. Notice what Paul begins here. This is sort of the end of his word to the Colossians. And he begins at the close of this with these words, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and and thankful. Now prayer is something that is a part of our mature intimacy with the Lord. And down through the ages, the great men and women of faith have sort of wrestled with this concept of prayer and you know you've heard perhaps many many different messages on prayer and we're not going to take time to unpack all of that this morning but I wanted to begin with a um, a reading from Brother Lawrence's The Practice of His Presence. Brother Lawrence was a, was a, a monk who um, worked in the kitchen uh, peeling potatoes and preparing food for uh, the other monks And um, through that process of just doing his daily work, he discovered something deep about mature intimacy with God and about the practice of prayer, and really more than the practice of prayer, the practice of the presence of God. And so he's written a whole book about this, and and there's one portion of that book that I want to share with you here as we begin this part about connecting with God this morning. He says this, I make it my business to persevere in his holy presence, wherein I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God, or to speak better, an habitual silent and secret conversation of the soul with God, which often causes me joys and raptures inwardly so great that I am forced to use means to moderate them and prevent their appearance to others. (laughs) 
In other words, he didn't want to break out in a full dance while he was peeling the potatoes. But did you hear that? Catch that, catch that beginning part again. I make it my business to persevere in his holy presence, where I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God. Or to speak better, a habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God. What a beautiful thing. The secret, silent conversation. Have you ever been to a restaurant and have just watched, you know, people watching, but sometimes when you're in a restaurant and you just see an an older couple, um, which Annette and I were out recently and we were like, we're looking around and we went to a a lunch date uh, because her plane was delayed and so we were actually able to spend a part of Valentine's Day together. And so we went to lunch together. And, you know, we were kind of the youth group at the, at the restaurant. And, but we were like, we're looking around and we're going, but, but this is us. <laughs> but have you ever been and watched an older couple and they're just sitting and they're just content to be with one another? There may not even be lots and lots of conversation, but there just is a, you can just tell that there's a, there's a, a sweet, just um, connection which doesn't even require words. It's just a, the, the joy of being with one another is enough. I think that's what Brother Lawrence is getting at here. I think he's getting at that kind of connection where there is such a a deep intimacy and trust and connection and fondness that it's beyond words. It's It's just that awareness, that deep awareness of the actual presence of God. Now, how do we get there? How, how, does, how do we develop that kind of connection with God? Well, I'm glad you asked because I think Paul gives us some, some aspects of it right here in this one little scripture that we'll unpack for a moment here. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I think it takes a perseverance. 90% of life is showing up. And that's true in our relationship with our spouse, with our kids, at our workplace. It's also true in our relationship with God. 90% of it is simply showing up. He's always showing up. (laughs) But we have to press in and persevere in his presence. Um, Luke 19 gives us the parable of the persistent widow who perseveres. Go to Luke 19. Excuse me. No, that's not it. It's Luke 18, 1 to 8. Forgive me. Luke 18, 1 to 8. 
Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that... They get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find perseverance? Will he find those who are persevering into his actual presence? Who are continuing in that place of awareness before him of his goodness. Now, he's not comparing himself to the unjust judge. This doesn't mean God is not like the unjust judge. The unjust judge finally gives in because of the drip, drip, drip of the widow, but our God is ready to hear and respond as we continue to persevere and call out to him. Part of prayer is devoting yourself to practicing the presence of God. Vigilance. Be watchful. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Again, this takes that not only perseverance, but it takes a, a vigilance to, to, and the vigilance, a lot of the vigilance is about removing distractions from our lives. Removing the hindrances and barriers that keep us from seeing his face, from hearing his voice, from responding to his heart. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There is, an, you know, in, in, the, um, in American history, you studied and heard about, and you've probably heard about the Great Awakenings. They're called the Great Awakenings because at the time, the church was asleep and needed to wake up and become alert. And Ephesians actually uses that word. It says, awake, O sleeper, in another part of Ephesians. And there is an awakening, an alertness that's a part of mature intimacy with God. It's an, an awakeness in our spirit. So there's not a dullness, not a slumber, not a distraction, but a focus. It requires a focus. You've been watching the Olympics, perhaps. You see these men and women um, who have given their energies, their time, their resources. They poured their life out in a singular focus for a singular moment, for a singular event, for a, for a singular purpose. That's the kind of focus, and they have to remove all of the distractions in order to focus and get at what will be for them the pinnacle of their life experience. How much more for us to be alert in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit at all times. I've told you this story many times, but it's one of the best stories I know of. It's a story from the Depression time when there was a, when, when people were, you know, obviously there was a great scarcity of jobs and 
and a, uh, an, and a notice was posted for a job in a telegraph office. And so literally hundreds of people showed up to be interviewed. And they were all filling out their things. And when one young man came in and he was, he was there and, and they were filling, filling out. And in the background there was the noise in the office. And suddenly he puts down his paper, gets up, and goes over to the office door where it's marked private. And he walks right in to the office. And he comes back out a few moments later and says... I got the job. And everybody else was like, wait a minute, what happened? How did you get the job? We've been here longer than you. We've been filling out our applications. How is it that you got the job? And he said, shh, everybody stop talking. Listen. And above the clatter of all it, when everything got silent, they heard the tap, 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 dot, dash, dot, dash, And it was saying, if you hear this, come on in. The job is yours. If you hear this, come on in. The job is yours. The Lord is communicating with us. He seeks and desires to continue to speak to us. It's our alertness to listen to his voice that creates the difference. Thirdly, with thanksgiving. There's a wonderful book that I read and um, many of you have read. It's called 1,000 Gifts. It's a book I would strongly urge you to to consider getting and, and reading. It's a powerful, powerful book about thanksgiving and about Eucharist Theo. Um, more time than I would have to share about that this morning. But I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, pray continually. What does that mean? How do I do that? I mean, is it, am I, you know, am I always supposed to be you know, under my breath, is there always supposed to be prayer going on? You know, whether I'm on the bus or at my work or in my, you know, how am I to pray continuously? Well, it's not so much, again, about this verbal act. It's about a posture of heart that is in connection and intimacy with God. And a big part of that is this concept of thanksgiving where it's where there's always this sense of there's bubbling up in our spirit a gratitude to the lord now certainly the psalms are filled with psalms of lament times where there's lamenting before the Lord. There's a big difference between lament and complaint, by the way. So so this thanksgiving, this gratitude, even in times where there's lamenting, there is a discipline that the Lord wants to develop in our heart of, of gratitude and thanksgiving. 
Again, thinking of it in the context of a, a marriage relationship. I mean, when, you know, I, I don't know about you. I've been married 31 years now, and perhaps you've figured this out. I don't know how it works for you, but for some of you, you are continuing the process of, you know, w- when you complain about something your spouse does over and over and over and over again. I'm sure that creates in them a real desire to change for you, right? They just go, oh, honey, thank you for reminding me of that again. But when there's a thanksgiving, when there's gratitude, that creates an atmosphere where change out of that thanksgiving and similarly i think in our relationship with god and 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 it spills out into our relationship with life in general rejoice always develop that attitude of gratitude it's part of mature intimacy with god learning to say thanks in all not for all by the way there's a big difference It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Some circumstances, we're not giving thanks for. That's a critical distinction. But in, yes. In the midst of it, giving thanks. All right, so here's the takeaway that I'd like us to, I'd like you to kind of meditate on over this next week and beyond. A connected life is one marked by mature intimacy with God. As it says in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. This is the kind of intimacy he wants to bring us into. Where strangers become friends, friends become family. We are a part of his family. We're friends of God who he speaks to and unpacks his mysteries to. That's what Paul's getting at. That's the hope of Christ in you. The hope of glory is a mature intimacy with God. Secondly, connecting with the world, what I'm calling mature engagement with the world. A connected life connects up and a connected life connects out. It connects out into the world. Our next scripture gets at this. From Colossians 4 now, verses 3 to 6. So again, in your text, take a look there. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay? So I want to look at briefly two dimensions of mature engagement. Remember, I've said this before, but I want to remind you again. I think the church traditionally through the ages has typically often fallen into one of two ditches that are clearly marked and are very attractive. One is the ditch of escape from the world. This is 
This would be the, the typical ditch that down through the ages, if we were to put a label on it, perhaps the conservative church has found itself steering the bus off into escaping from the world. If we just build for us a, a culture that is completely separate from the world, but sort of, you know, in a way modeled after the world, and, and if we do that, if we, can, if we can just escape, and if we can keep everything and all of the, the things of the world far enough away from us, we'll be safe. Right? So that's the ditch of escape. The other is, the other ditch which perhaps if we were going to, again, put a label on it, which labels are not so great, but, but maybe the, the more liberal side of the church goes into embracing culture. So instead of leading, the church follows culture wherever culture is going and chooses to embrace the values and the perspectives and the worldview of the world. Which leads to a oftentimes a disconnecting from the values of biblical worldview. But in between those two is this mature engagement which requires a rigorousness of spirit and of mind and of soul that requires us to do the hard work of taking this biblical worldview and engaging the worldview of culture around us with it, not seeking to escape from, neither embracing, but genuinely engaging the world. And how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. I think Paul gives us some good perspective on that right here. First of all, there's wise action. Wise action. Wise action. First Peter, Peter in the Apostle Peter in First Peter two puts it this way. He says, "Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us." Now, down through the years, the church has gotten a lot of bad press. We've been accused of colonialism and of um, just all kinds of, of horrific, um, you know, things that, that in some cases the label has fit more closely than we would care to admit. However, it is also true that down through the ages, the church has often been at the vanguard of social transformation, dealing with injustices dealing with unrighteousness in ways that is stunning to the world. So much has happened. And even, I, I was just reading, Christianity Today has a, has a, has a very large front page uh, in, their, in their most recent edition, which I would encourage you to read, about the power of the missionary movement, again, which has often been slighted for being, again, 
too Western, too colonial, too all of that. However, they have done careful research and study. And where the missionary movement has been strongest, the, the, the amount of societal transformation in a positive way, there is a direct correlation which can be found with all other factors being you know, taken into account. The missionary movement has had the most profound positive effect on the world of anything else that can be found or determined. It's through that wise action, through that living those good lives, through doing the deeds of serving and caring. Again, people don't know how much, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So our wise actions become a way in which we can have mature engagement with the world. So the question that we need to be asking ourselves, Lord, how do you want us to be engaging? How should I be engaging my neighborhood? Is there particular ways in my neighborhood? Is there particular ways at my workplace that you are inviting me to engage those around me? Begin to think with that perspective. A connected life engages in wise action. St. Francis of Assisi was the one who said, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Now that's, I don't want to make that kind of a separation between the two, because both are necessary, as we're going to see in a moment. But the point he was getting at to a church that was trying to just simply speak, 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 was that the church, he was part of a reformation movement within the church to bring the church back into the lives of people with wise actions. Secondly, seasoned words. Seasoned words. What does it say again? Back in our scripture in Colossians 4, he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now Paul was brilliant at this. I'm just going to give you one example out of the book of Acts when he was in Athens. And remember, he was having this ongoing dialogue. And he goes, in Acts 17, he preaches this magnificent message. He says, he stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now let me tell you. Let me help you understand that which you've been groping around, trying to find, trying to understand. I'm going to now declare it to you. You know, we've been sold this line now that people don't want to hear about the gospel. That's not true. That is simply not true. It's simply not true. People are desperate to hear about something to help make sense of their lives. The thing is, it isn't always going to be, you know, what, what, what people are looking for now in this time, in this day, is they're looking for a hook, a place of engagement with them, which will require you 
to listen and observe. Paul listened before he spoke. He went around and he heard what the need was and then spoke into that need. We need to hear the need. Mature engagement requires relationship with people where we listen carefully to hear not just the text of their lives, but the subtext. To get at what's really going on in them. So that we can proclaim the message of Christ in you, the hope of glory, that there is a hope. That there is truth. That there is life. That there can be joy. Understand, everybody with me? Wise action. Seasoned words. This is, this is the mark of a mature life that is in matu- that's connected with people in the world and is responding with mature engagement. A connected life connects with the world doesn't escape from it. It doesn't embrace it. It engages it. Thirdly, connected with God's people where there is mature co-laboring. The whole end of the passage here, which I won't take time to reread, but from verse 7 to 18. I love this. Here's, here's part of what I love about Scripture, by the way. Just so you understand why We love scripture so much here because the Bible is different than a lot of other sort of, quote, sacred religious texts. These many sacred religious texts come across as kind of a a series of philosophical statements and, 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 and wise sayings and things like that, but it's sort of disconnected from the reality of, like, human life. But the Bible's very human. Paul lists a whole bunch of people here. Tychicus and Aristarchus, Aristarchus and Onesimus and cousin of Barnabas and Mark and Jesus known as Justice and Epaphras and over and over again. He is actually connected to real people. I've said it before, I've said it a thousand times. You cannot do the Christian life in isolation. It requires community. It requires co-laboring with other believers if we're going to experience a true connected life and true maturity. So it requires this mature co-laboring. There's some names in here we're not even going to get into today. Onesimus. Anybody know where Onesimus shows up at? What what are the book? Philemon. It's a great book. In fact, Philemon is sort of a companion. We're not going to be able to get to it Uh, right in this season of time, but I encourage you to read Philemon. It's a magnificent short little letter about a very powerful and poignant and prophetic moment in history. Uh, Very personal book. Onesimus. How many recognize John Mark in here? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas? What I love about that is that it says, what does it say about him? He says, 
sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, if you remember back the story historically, you know that in the book of Acts, there was a rift between Paul and Barnabas. They went separate ways over John Mark, who had sort of abandoned Paul and Barnabas in the midst of one of their missionary journeys and had turned back and wasn't able to, and Paul was not happy about that, and he actually separated from Barnabas over that, but John Mark was redeemed, and now Paul says, welcome him. It's a beautiful story of redemption. Okay, those were all extra sermon McNuggets, but this is real people, real people, real lives. So what is this connecting with God's people? What is mature co-laboring with people? What does that look like in your and my daily life? How do we do this? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Look at what it says in Colossians 4.7. He is a dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I want to unpack those three things very quickly as we run to the close this morning. All right. Dear brothers and sisters. Your co-laborers are dear brothers and sisters. As it says in Colossians 4.9, he is coming with Onesimus. I've already mentioned Onesimus. Our faithful and dear brother who is one of you, they will tell you about everything that is happening here. Now remember, Onesimus, his name means useless. He was in Philemon, he, he was a runaway slave who got saved, and Paul is sending him back and says now he is no longer a slave, he's no longer useless, but now he has become useful to you. The entire book of Philemon is all about a reconciliation and a restoration, and it's also about a co-laboring between a slave and his master who had the right to kill him, and yet Paul urges him and encourages him and says, no, don't do what you have legal right to do. In fact, welcome him now, not simply as a slave, your slave who has returned, but as your dear brother and sister. Your dear brother. We live in a society we don't have here as as in cultures around us do around the world have cultures of caste systems where people uh there's all kinds of things we don't we don't have a quote unquote formal caste system here but let me tell you we have an informal caste system and we know the caste system we know what it is because we know who they are and they're not us But the Bible says there is no them and us. There's only them, you know, them and, there's only us. There's only us. These are your dear brothers and sisters. A mature co-laboring gets to that point of recognizing you're my brother, you're my sister. Secondly, Faithful ministers. Faithful ministers. Well, what does this have to get at? Well, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. A mature co-laboring is a co-laboring that encourages and exhorts one another to complete the work, the ministry that you have received from the Lord. 
it is powerfully important that we encourage one another into the work that God has given and called one another to. We were talking about this with our um, leader and training apprentices um, just this past Thursday. I was talking about the principle of interdependence, the kingdom principle of interdependence. And if we're taking, you know, if we're out of place, if we're taking and stepping into somebody else's place, not only are we stepping out of our spiritual jurisdiction, we are displacing somebody from the place that they're intended to stand. And so like Paul says to Archippus, see to it to complete the ministry you have received. We want to be encouraged. Mature co-laboring recognizes that the people around me have ministry that God has given to them and that I want to encourage and exhort and empower them to fulfill the ministry God's called them into. Just as you encourage us. By the way, on behalf of the staff, thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for all the wonderful cards, the gifts that you gave to us. We receive those with joy. It's kind of like getting air in our lungs again. Thank you so much for encouraging us. And hopefully we can encourage you and we can encourage one another. And finally, servants of Christ. Again, right in our passage here, Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. Listen to this. Listen to what he says about Epaphras. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I shared with you at the beginning of this year, of year of growing maturity, that this is something for us as a pastoral staff here in particular, but all of us as a staff and leaders, we are wrestling on your behalf that we will all grow together to stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured as servants of Christ. Mature co-laboring recognizes that we are fully mutually submitted to Christ Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. That is, the, that is the place that we are called into as mature co-laborers of Christ to be servants, faithful ministers, dear brothers and sisters. Let's bring it home. A connected life. Grace be with you, Paul says. Grace be with you. The very last words of Colossians. Grace be with you. Jeremy spoke about this earlier this morning, not by law, but by grace. It's as we run to him, we experience the righteousness of Christ. In John 1.14, and 16, it says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of His fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. We've all received grace. This is Christ in you. Christ in you comes through grace. It's not out of your own labors. It's not out of the law. It's not because you're so good. It's not because you're so gifted or strong or capable or educated or smart. It comes 
simply and strictly and solely out of the grace of God. It's Christ in you. It's from the inside out that this happens. This connected life, connected to God, connected into the world, connected to one another in co-laboring, all of that flows out of God's grace. That's where it begins, that's where it ends, and that's where it is all the way in between. And so this morning as we close, I just want to call us back into that place of grace. I just want to remind us and invite you back in to that place of grace because that's where a connected life, that's where the oil comes from. That's where the strength comes from. That's where the power comes from. It comes from the grace of God. We stand together. Next week, we'll begin a Lenten series entitled Growing Maturity. We're going to continue to put our roots down deep. This year, we're going to keep pressing in because we just believe that the Lord wants to continue to grow us up in Him. This morning, we've heard about steps of maturity about a mature intimacy with God a mature engagement with the world a mature co-laboring with the people around us maybe there's something that the Lord has spoken to you about this morning and you're just desiring to press into a deeper place of maturity in one of these or maybe all of these areas again as I just spoke this is a work of God's grace in us that then flows through us. And it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, if you don't have Christ in you, none of this is possible. So if you've never stepped into relationship with Jesus Christ, this morning you're invited to step into relationship with him. There's some people right along the front here who would be delighted to pray with you if you want to come while others come to the altar if you want to come and begin a life with Jesus today they'd love to spend some time praying with you talking to you we've got materials that we can give you to help you to encourage you to help in that growth maybe you know you've been walking with Christ in you for a long time and yet there's a, there's a deeper place of submission, a deeper place of fullness that he wants to bring you, a deeper place of maturity. And you just realize and recognize this morning, you know, I still have, I still got room to grow in one or all three of these areas. And I just wanna, I wanna bring that to the Lord this morning. As we sing this song, Jesus be the center. I'm just going to invite you, if you want to come, I invite you to come to this altar and just make this song your prayer this morning. Jesus, Jesus. Just open your hands if you would. Jesus, 
as we open our hands in a posture of submission to you, we open our hearts to you and our spirit to you today. And we say, Jesus, be Christ, Messiah, Lord, in us. We choose the path today of deeper surrender to you, Lord God. That your fullness, the fullness of a truly connected life might be ours. As we connect with you, as we connect with the world around us, as we connect with one another, Lord God, develop a deeper intimacy, a deeper engagement, a deeper co-laboring that will result in greater fruitfulness, Lord, for you and your kingdom. Lord, do this work in us, we pray. Jesus, Jesus, Now just with hands continued open, Pastor Litovic is going to pronounce benediction over us this morning. Thank you, God. Now may the grace of God, the grace of loving Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit rest and the heart of each and every one, as you go, go in making disciples. In Jesus' name.